0: I'm so grateful that you have allowed us to be a part of your worship experience in your small space, wherever you're watching this. And and I just want to take a moment before we jump into studying the word together uh, to pray for you. I don't know where you're at in the midst of uh, these stay-at-home orders, but the other day I was taking a walk, I was practicing social distancing, doing all the things that we're supposed to do, Uh, but I noticed a couple from church riding their bike past me And as they went past me, I yelled out their name and they threw on their brakes and at a safe distance, we were able to fellowship for a little bit and it fed my soul. Uh, I really miss us being able to gather together yet and so thankful for the way that God is working uh, in the small spaces that people are gathering to be a part of the worship services. But I want to pray for you. I want to take advantage of the opportunity uh, to do that. And so let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much just for you being present in our lives. That even though we're in these stay-at-home orders, that you are everywhere. And so even in the place where we're viewing this video right now, you are present and you are working. The fact that we're not meeting in in a building that's usually set aside for such a service doesn't in any way take away from the fact that your spirit is, is desiring to to move in and through our life in amazing ways. Lord, I want to pray for those who are being challenged, particularly emotionally at this moment, God, that you would just strengthen them, Lord, that they would be honest about the things they're wrestling with with you, and they would allow you to bring healing into their life. They would allow you, Lord God, to bring peace into their life. Be with those who may be struggling physically or having someone else who's struggling physically, and it may not even be with COVID-19, it could be with other things, but are heightened because of the scenario, the situation we find ourselves in. And so, God, I pray you would just touch him physically. And Lord God, those that are wrestling financially, God, that you would just meet their needs. And Lord, I pray for us emotionally and physically and financially and, and spiritually, God. I pray that for the church family, those I'm praying with who are praying over, my church family and friends who have, who have tuned in, God, that you wouldn't just meet their needs to sustain them, but you would meet their needs in such a way that they could be generous to those around them. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that none of this uh, took you by surprise. And we thank you for inviting us to meet with you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in our final week of our series, Hope Rising. And we've been looking at events that took place nearly 2,000 years ago over a several-week period that literally changed everything. We, we led off by looking at Christ's triumphal entry, which happened on Palm Sunday. And then we went to Christ's crucifixion, where he died for our sins. And then, of course, we, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, Easter, where Jesus rose for our salvation. And then we went to look at the ascension of Christ and how our ascended Lord has invited us to live an ascended life in him. Now, what's that mean? It's a life of learning what it means to be a citizen of heaven while walking on earth, where he literally empowers us and challenges us to follow the leading of his spirit to bring a piece of heaven into our relationships and our circumstances. And then last week, we looked at what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the life of a believer. And so we finish up looking at this hope enduring, which enters the life of a Christian as the Lord prevails and permeates in and through their lives. Now, I want to look a minute and explain exactly what I mean by the Lord prevailing and permeating in the life of a believer. When we speak of the Lord prevailing in the life of a Christ follower, what I'm talking about really is is what it means to surrender to Christ. Not just to receive him as Lord and Savior, but to surrender, to yield to the leading of his spirit. Because when we surrender to Christ, when we yield to his spirit, he, he prevails, he leads and guides us. He, the resources of heaven that are poured into our life in such a way that we're transformed from the inside out. The Lord prevails. When I speak of the Lord permeating from the life of a believer, what I'm really talking about is that the, the, the work of God in the life of a Christian, which allows for his love and message to spread to the world around us. So because of Christ prevailing in us, leading and guiding us, his word, his his mission permeates from our lives to the world around us. As we believers surrender to Christ on a daily basis, his spirit works in and through us to advance his kingdom. And this prevailing and permeating of the Lord in the life of a believer is both personal and collaborative. It's personal in, in our personal walk with God, but it's collaborative in the fact that every follower of Jesus Christ is part of his church. Now, every Christian is part of his church. Think about that. But the word church it is such a powerful word. It, it's translated from a Greek word, which is usually defined as an assembly, or called out once. See, many times in our culture, when we hear the word church, We're usually speaking of the place where Christians gather. And that's not inappropriate. That's that's an appropriate use of the word. But I just want to sort of let you know that I believe it's more appropriate when we use the word church to speak of the sum total of all believers, the, the body of Christ, his church, us, you, and me. Biblically, we may regard the church in two ways. We can look at the church, number one, as a universal or worldwide enduring church, and we can also look at it as the local church. When we speak of the universal church, we're we're really talking about everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we speak of the local church, that's where believers can fully apply the, the body principle we find throughout the New Testament of joining together as we grow in knowing God and making him known, as we fulfill the mission of being disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, let me make this personal. For me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a part of God's universal church, his worldwide enduring church. And that church, of course, was birthed at Pentecost and will exist into the unforeseeable future consisting of all believers who have, who are, and whoever will walk on this planet. But I'm also part of a local church. I'm a part of Crosswinds. That's my local church family. Why partner with, with other believers using my unique gifts and, and talents along with theirs to fulfill the Great Commission? We're called to reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ, to make disciples who make disciples in our regional context. So the prevailing and permeating of the Lord through the life of a believer speaks about what God does in an individual Christian as well as his church. As we, the church, work together in surrendering to Christ, His spirit's power is unleashed in and through us to advance his kingdom in our very own lives, in our homes, our workplaces, schools, in our our region. Even in these stay-at-home orders, all of us have at least some sphere of influence that God has said, "Let let me work in you in such a way, let me prevail in you, so to speak, so that I can permeate, so that my kingdom can advance through you by the power of my spirit. We work together under the Lord's leading and in his power to literally see his kingdom come, his will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So in a very real sense, we claim the promises of God in our lives as we allow him to use us, to claim territory in his name through our lives. That's really important. So let me say that again. We claim the promises of God in our lives as we allow him to use us to to claim territory in his name through our lives. To illustrate this, I wanna go back to an Old Testament book in Joshua. And I wanna look at God's words to Joshua in Joshua 1, 3. This is what we read. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So Joshua has taken over leadership in Israel. They're, they're, they're moving into the promised land. They're, they're going to claim the territory which God has given to them. And what does he say to them? Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. And then God outlines for them the promised land. Here's the land that I have given to you to possess. All you need to do is walk through it, to march through the land, the length and breadth of it, and measure it out with your own two feet. Now, what's interesting is that we know from Scripture that the Israelites never claimed more than a third of the territory promised to them. Another way of looking at that is that the Israelites had just measured off a third of the promise and no more. Think about it. The Lord had offered them two-thirds more territory than they claimed. They only claimed a third, only a portion of what God had for them. Now, let me bring this home for you and me. God has made promises to his church to you and to me, that we must claim in order to possess. Besides the literal ground unoccupied for Christ, there is unclaimed, untrodden territory of divine promises. And so I want to jump now ahead to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. If you want to follow along through your app or however you read the scripture, uh, you will want to turn or go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And what we find in 2 Peter chapter 1 is another land of promise. Another land of promise that God has offered to you and me as believers that unfortunately many Christians do not fully claim. And so let's look at it together. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. desire. What does Peter write about here? He's writing about the promises of God. And in a way, he brings us to this mindset of what God spoke to Joshua, that we have these promises in scripture that God has given to us as believers, but we too must measure off the territory. Now, how do we measure off the territory? Well, we do this by by sort of obeying. Obedient faith. We do this by believing obedience. So we walk with God in obedient faith. We trust Him. We step into the promises that He has given to us through His Word. I think it's worth noting that Peter indicated that the peace and grace, those two most precious gifts, are ours in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we know God, these essentials, these these foundations for salvation and living are ours. However, not only grace and peace are ours, but notice in verse 3 that he writes, all things that pertain to life and godliness are ours through the knowledge of God. See, knowing God is the key to all things that pertain to life and godliness. And remember, grace and peace and all things that pertain to life and godliness come to us through God's power. God's power. I think it's unfortunate that many people, and I'm not fallen into this trap too, maybe you have, we will try almost anything and everything except the knowledge of God. I mean, we'll trust in the schemes and thoughts of people rather than trusting in the knowledge of God. We'll even trust in ourselves or our own knowing of ourselves than the knowledge of God. The word knowledge in the Greek has a fuller meaning than it does in the English. The ancient Greek word knowledge doesn't refer to in a casual acquaintance. The, the knowing that is spoken of in, in, these, in this verse here in, in 2 Peter, is, it means exact knowledge. It means, it means complete knowledge. It means a thorough knowledge. That we're to have a deep knowledge of God. We're to truly know God. And we come to the knowledge of God as we learn of him through his word, and prayer, and community with God's people. Now, I think the first two, if you've been around church for a while, don't surprise you. That certainly what we know of God is foremost, from the word of God. He's, he's given us his word, the Bible, to know him. And it's not just about knowing the Bible. It's about knowing God through the Bible. That's why scripture memorization is a great thing. But if all we do is memorize the scripture, it doesn't mean we know God. It just means we've memorized words. But if through the memorization of God's word, through the study of God's word, our, our desire is, God, make yourself known to us through your word, That's what we're called to do, to know him. We know him through his word. We know him through prayer. We know him through many of the spiritual disciplines that we set aside and we can grow in him through those disciplines or exercises. But we also know him through the community of God's people. It's true that all we really need is God, but God doesn't just use our solitude to grow us up in the knowledge of him. He also uses our community with other believers, his church. That's why I said this prevailing and permeating of Christ in and through the life of a Christ follower is not just a personal thing. It's a collaborative thing. We find in the book of Proverbs that as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. What's that speaking of? It's speaking of the value of community, the value of doing life with other believers. That's why we here at Crosswinds, we, we believe so much in our large gatherings, and that's why we, we've, we've moved to say, man, we need to tape these things and make sure that we can experience the large gathering in the small spaces that people all throughout this region, parts of the country, even parts of the world are, are tuning in to be a part of this, and we really value that. But we also value small groups. And we say a lot around here that life happens better in circles than in rows, meaning in those small groups of of a handful of people, you know, eight to 12 people gathering together. And and I'm excited because we've actually, in this time of stay-at-home orders, have actually added like two or three new small groups. (laughs) Like our small group ministry has grown over the past month and a half. That's amazing to me. That's that's a testament to God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of of, of my church family. We also believe in one-on-one discipleship, and that's continuing during this time. As people use, you know, FaceTime and other things. In fact, last Wednesday night I was connecting with my one-on-one partner, and we've been using Skype, and it wasn't working, so we had to just go to just calling each other on the phone. And and yet when when we were done, I I was I was I was moved. I it, it was it was a great experience. I grew through that time with him. And, and what do I mean by growing? I meant that I was challenged in my faith. I was encouraged in my faith. I. I grew in the knowledge of God. So we grow in the knowledge of God through his word and through prayer and through community with God's people. See, the promises of God are based upon, in verse four, look at it. It says, God's glory and virtue. And therefore, perfectly reliable because God can never compromise his glory or virtue. God's promises are both exceedingly great in the sense that they're large and imposing, And they're also precious. They're valuable. I came across this writing from Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century British preacher, and listen to what he wrote about these these exceedingly great and precious promises of God. He writes, many things are great which are not precious, such as great rocks which are of little value, on the other hand, many things are precious, which are not great, such as diamonds and other jewels, which cannot be very great if they are to be very precious. But here we have the promises, which are so great, that they are not less than infinite and so precious, but they are not less than divine. What's he writing about here? He said, well, you can have like a boulder, which is great and massive, but it's really not valuable. In fact, and many times it's just a nuisance. But you can also have a, a diamond that's small, but it's, maybe it's, it's, it's clear and it's brilliant. And so it's very valuable, but it's not great in size. He says, but the promises of God, he says, they're, they're both great and valuable. They're great because they come from an infinite God and they, they have this, this power from this infinite God that's available to us. And they're valuable because they're no less than divine. And Peter writes that through these promises, we are to be partakers of even the divine nature. This explains the value of these great and precious promises. Through these promises, we're we're partakers of the divine nature as adopted sons and daughters of God. It's wonderfully generous of a loving God to offer us such promises that that when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that his righteousness covers us. And not only does his righteousness cover us, but as we looked at last week, we're indwelt by his spirit who allows us to become more and more like him. Like we're, we don't have to stay the same person we were before we came to Christ. In fact, Jesus invites us into a journey with him that we can become the person he created us to be. And by the power of his spirit, we're not just covered with the righteousness of Christ. We're able to no longer be conformed to the world, but to be conformed to Jesus. Now, that's a great and precious promise. It shows how deeply God loves us, that he wants us to share life with him, even to have the sharing of his divine nature. And so there's these promises that as we walk obediently in faith and claim that he just pours into our life. Let me speak a moment about how we claim these promises. Because I've heard people in prayer. I've heard people even preach and act like you should demand these promises from God. You know, come to God and say, I'll accept nothing less than. And I just want to warn you, we should never claim the promises of God as if we're spoiled children. That's not the way we approach God. We approach God in humble, confident gratitude. Humbly, he's God, confident. We're his children. Gratitude, thank you for giving me these promises that I can claim. And we we come to him understanding a few things. First of all, God is in control that the promises themselves are available through the power of God. And then the lastly, he's the determiner of how those promises are going to be fulfilled in our life. So even in the promises of God, we got to be careful that we don't simply say, God, I'm claiming this promise, and you need to work, and this, that, and you. Yeah. God doesn't need to do anything but be God. That's it. And so we don't come to him as a spoiled child demanding anything. We come to him as humble, grateful, confident children. Saying, Lord, I, I claim this promise, knowing that you're in control, knowing that, that this promise is only available because of your power and your love for me, and you're the determiner. Let this promise be fulfilled in and through my life how you choose. See, our claiming of God's promises and territory is by God's power unleashed in and through our lives by our act of faith. That's so important. Let me let me. Let me say that again. Our claiming of God's promises and territory is by God's power and it's unleashed in and through our lives by our act of faith. When we, God's church, by faith, fully claim God's promises and territory, God's power is released and, and the resources of heaven fill our lives so we can honestly know him and make him known. I mean, we're growing then as disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So here's a couple questions. Has each and every one of us taken possession of the promises of God in the name of Christ? Has each and every one of us taken possession of the promises of God in the name of Christ? Let me step back a minute. Because the promises of God can only be filled in a Christ follower. So maybe the first question is, have you received Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, then that's your first step to entering into these promises of God. But then, once we've received Christ, those of us who have, have we taken possession of the promises of God in the name of Christ? Then have we claimed the full promises of God? Or have we simply settled for abortion? See, so I believe many believers settle for less than the full inheritance that God wants to give to them because they, they haven't spent time in God's word so they even know what the promises are. Or perhaps they, they know the promises. They, they've studied God's word. I mean, they, they know the promises, but they just haven't by faith claimed them. God has offers, offers a magnificent territory for faith to lay hold of, to march through the length and breadth of. So let me encourage us. Let's claim the full inheritance. God wants us to, so let's, let's humbly and confidently and gratefully claim the full inheritance. Let us lift our eyes to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. Let's, let's look at everything around us, our relationships, the circumstances we find ourselves in, and hear the voice of God that says, every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you. See, we receive this hope enduring in the Lord as he prevails and permeates in and through our lives. Hope, hope is a confident expectation. Along with faith and love, hope is an enduring virtue. Love springs from hope. Hope produces joy and peace as believers surrender themselves to the Spirit's work in and through their lives through Christ's enduring hope, uh, we're able to claim the promises of God, to claim territory in faith. I think this message is timely. It's a message that's good for us to be mindful of no matter what we're going through, but, but there, are some me- there are some promises in Scripture that speak to our emotional well-being his peace and awareness of his presence. There are promises in his word that that speak to us trusting him with our very own bodies and the hope we have of a new body in eternity when Christ returns. There's promises in his word that that speak to who we are financially, spiritually, this emotional and physical, financial and spiritual Parts of our lives. There's promises that go directly to our relationship with others, and there's promises that speak of all the barriers and challenges of life, and that God is greater than every single one of them. So let me challenge us. Let's let me encourage us. Claim the full promises of God, claim your full inheritance. Don't settle for a third and leave two-thirds unclaimed. Look to the north and the south and the east and the west. Every relationship, every circumstance you find yourself in. and Say, Lord, may your promises be true as I step out obediently in faith. Surrender to your spirit, following your lead. And by the way, that's the the caveat right there. The promises of God are fulfilled in our life as we receive Christ and walk in obedience to his spirit. And just sit back, just sit back right now and just hear the Lord's voice speak to you everywhere where your foot sets, it's yours. I am with you, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. You're mine and I wanna do a work in and through you which won't only change you but literally change the world around you, our homes, our neighborhoods, our region and beyond for him. God loves us that much. You're that precious and valuable to him. Let me pray for us. Let me pray that if you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of your heart, in the small space where you're watching this, that you'll receive him. Let me pray for us that will claim the full inheritance of what God has for us. We wouldn't settle for just a portion when he's saying, by faith, walk with me. Possess the rest. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the promises in your word. And we understand that really the fulfillment of those promises is is knowing you, that as we know you and as we surrender ourselves to your spirit and as you direct our steps, that it opens up our life to allow you to prevail through us. But it's no longer just us, it's, it's you working through us and in us to make us more and more like Jesus, to allow us to be the people you've created us to be, that sin kept us from being, but Jesus our savior has empowered us to be. Thank you that through our relationship with you, that the resources of heaven are are, are poured into our life, not just so that we ourselves can be filled to the brim with your presence and your power and your peace, but so that you would permeate through us, that, that your kingdom would be advanced through us. That's what gives us the ability to, to come to you humbly and yet confidently and gratefully and, and ask that you would work in, in our lives, and the lives of our families, and the lives of our loved ones and colleagues at work and schoolmates. Because we know that you're a God who loves, who cares, who's active in saying, join in with me. You invite us, join in with me and just see the work I can do in and through you. So Lord, may we receive you. May we surrender to you and may we, Lord God, walk with you that we could experience this prevailing power, your prevailing power, your permeating power in and through us. And may it not just change us, but may it literally change the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.